What's up, friends? Welcome back to the Deconstruction Zone. I'm sorry that it's been a little bit of time since we've had an episode. I know in the last one I mentioned that uh, Emily and I are still trying to figure out our schedule. And I actually think if you know the well, well, that uh, Sadie, our worship pastor, is actually going to be coming on a little more frequently. So I'm excited to get that rolling here in a little bit. But I am joined by people that have, have never been on the Deconstruction Zone that are not a part of the well, but are podcasters and pastors themselves. And so maybe, can you guys just like, maybe if you were going to give a 30 to 40 second elevator pitch of who you are and what you do, uh, would you do that for our podcasters real quick? Absolutely. So we are, my name's Kyle. I'm JT. And we are the hosts of the Progressive Pastor Podcast. Uh, We are both on staff at Concord Trinity UMC in South County, St. Louis. JT's been here on staff uh, doing discipleship and missions for about two years. I'm the director of family ministry. Uh, I've been here for about nine months now. But okay. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is that 30 seconds? Did I kill it? That I think, was, I, think it. I killed it. Okay, cool. I thought we were each going to get 30 seconds, but yeah. I guess, you can just do it. That's fine. <laughs> I can speak for you. It's okay. You can, yeah. Because you like speaking. You said you like speaking for, especially women, you like speaking for. <laughs> no, white men. You just didn't hear me correctly. Is that what you yeah. said? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've been on staff almost three years. I spent a year doing children's ministry before stepping into a, a new role, doing discipleship and, and missions. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's been great. And uh, Kyle's been, been on for coming up on a year now. Getting close. Yeah, getting close. So, Well, so you guys, like you said this, JT, before we started, like you've seen some of our stuff on TikTok, and I think you've yep. listened to certain things, but maybe not dove into a ton. Uh, and Kyle, I'm not sure if you've listened to much. Oh, yeah. Now, but uh, yeah. but my, uh, my flow usually with our stuff is like always through the lens of deconstruction, right? Like we want to talk about like mm-hmm. what it is and why it matters and, and how for us, like we've kind of beat the drum of like it's discipleship it's not something that is a demonization it's not something that's leading you away from jesus but it's actually i would argue uh very core to growing as a disciple of jesus but what i love about this room is we're kind of different stories that got us here right so i'm a guy who grew up in the progressive like wonderland of the pacific northwest in portland oregon but in kind of conservative christianity of evangelicalism when i dipped in made my way to Missouri of all places to become a progressive inclusive pastor. Uh, Kyle, you had mentioned like you grew up Baptist and now you're at a church and kind of a a inclusive progressive pastor. JT, like you're, are you from the Northeast or you were just in the Northeast? No, I'm from here. You're from from here here in St. Louis and spent, lived in the Northeast for five years for seminary, uh, did seminary in New Jersey for three years and then lived in Pennsylvania for two uh, before coming back to St. Louis. And kind of like you, like in this, I don't think you would either find this as a positive or negative, but you're like probably uh, more of an academic, right? Right? Like in my, your mind, I think you often think of things from like a cerebral academic way. You and I talked, we just recorded an episode, like we're cutting, we're heart people, right? Absolutely. And I think that might make for a really interesting, and not to say you're not a heart person. He has us, no heart. Well, no, we're not, cool. We don't know how to read. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But there is this idea in some of these conversations that we like go to one extreme, like we're head or the heart. Yeah. And right now we have an interesting uh, kind of cross section of the both. And so before we dive in, I guess, like when you think about deconstruction as discipleship from your vantage point of like your experience, your academics, your spirituality, all of that in your life, is that something you initially think is it as discipleship? And is that different from maybe what you grew up thinking it as? I think so. As somebody who, you know, I describe myself as still actively deconstructing from Southern Baptist theology, um, you know, I was 
born and raised into it and you know had been in that space for 26 years of my life um i i think it is and in being in a space like the sbc you know it's a, such a taboo term that you can't talk about okay but some of my best conversations i've had with um, whether people like, agree with on theology or disagree with on theology, it still comes back to this idea of deconstruction and how maybe I've differed my ideas and some of my best conversations about the church and church world come mm. from that mindset. Mm. Um, but in terms of discipleship, like I have, you know, a lot of our, we have, we've had a few families and youth students that have come with my family and I to Concord down here. Um, and, and have asked questions and even like my parents um, who have been in the Southern Baptist world for much longer than I have um, want to ask questions about how, you know, I've gotten to where I am yeah. as kind of the more vocal of my family to kind of move down this deconstruction path. Um, so it's interesting, you know, and I think like I can disciple my students with that, you know, I'm open with our current students too about that. Like how, you know, I don't always have the answers to some of these mm -hmm. things. I'm still learning myself, but like I can also disciple like my mom and dad, which is such a weird thing to say. Like you've, you know, we view the patriarchal like yeah, setup right. of a family and like, you know, my dad and mom should be discipling me and they did for a lot of years, but like now I can do the same thing back to them. But yeah. yeah I, it's not I, linear, right? Like it's exactly. Like it can be much more generative in all directions. Yeah, and we were talking about that in our staff meeting today. Like, it's so interesting now seeing, like, Western culture shift, like, with adult kids being, like, friends with their parents and, like, yeah. how that's so common over in, like, Eastern cultures. But, like, you know, it's it's kind of a new thing here. So, you know, and, like, my I, I was joking, like, my dad is, like, my best friend. Yeah. You know, I love chatting with my dad. Um, but, yeah, I can teach him so much, and he's taught me so much through my life. But, it, yeah, it stems back to these type of deconstruction discipleship i like the way that you put that yeah so you before we get to ujt like so have you been have you do you feel like you've been deconstructing for a long time and you felt like you've claimed that phrase or did it take you a while to like get to a place where like you were okay with saying you're deconstructing i didn't have a word for it for okay. a long probably for the last i would say i've used the word deconstruction for the last like two and a half years okay um but i've probably been going down this path for about six or seven years um having questions with um, like inclusion in the SBC and, and some of the things that are very hard nose mm -hmm. in the Southern Baptist Church um, and things that I disagreed with. Um, you know, now having the language to use, I realize it's been about six or seven years that I've been deconstructing, okay. but I've had the right terminology for, you know, just a little bit. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that story a lot. Like I just, I had been doing it, but I didn't know there was a word for it. We, exactly. we get that message a lot. Um, JT, what about you? So like, what's your experience been? Yeah, I mean, uh, I had shared before, I, I grew up in the Catholic Church, um, spent some time in, in evangelical circles, and, um, you know, I, part of what has kind of turned me into somebody who's very academically inclined is that I was, you know, I kind of started this deconstructing journey through good scholarship right mm. i mean reading mm. reading good uh biblical studies reading good theology um you know hearing uh good historically and theologically informed sermons and you know it, it led me to yeah i mean similar it, it i wouldn't when i would think about deconstruction you know the i had only ever really heard that word you know, at least looking, you know, thinking like a decade ago, when we would talk about deconstructing or somebody deconstructing, it was always, you know, 
it, it was like synonymous with deconverting, I guess yeah. maybe, right? So like yeah. crazy. You yeah. know, and so that that was the frame of reference I had for a long time for for this concept. And then, you know, me having been on this side of it, you know, having worked through, you know, deconstructing ideas and theology and all these things that I had either inherited or, um, you know, had, had picked up along the way without giving it much critical thought, you know, it, part of the thing that I had come to is like, we're always deconstructed like once you you know it's like a snowball rolling downhill like we're always uh deconstructing and, and reconstructing and we're always negotiating with <laughs> our received history and our received thought and and our received theology and all these things and um you know and so for me which i, I know like i think when i kind of first started maybe you guys had a similar experience with this when i first started down this road of like you know eventually it, it feels very heavy like we had talked before on you know at, at the heart um you know it, we think like at the heart most people want to be inclusive right mm -hmm. but it's like and eventually this gets very very heavy like the burden feels so heavy of being like you know carrying all this tradition, all this received history, all this, you know, religion. It, and it's just there. I came to find a lot of freedom in deconstructing in terms of, you know, I can still like I can set something down and pick up something new and I can offload this stuff that is like not useful to me or useful mm -hmm. to my faith anymore and still be a follower of Jesus in that. And um and so for me, it's like it, it's been this constant negotiation of, you know, I'm going to put some stuff. You know, I've had this stuff I've, or I have this thing or this idea that like, you know, I, I've come to believe is is harmful or I've come to believe is not useful anymore to uh, to my faith or to the world around me. And I'm going to put that down. Yeah. And like, that's OK. Like, I don't I don't need to feel shame about putting it down. I can still right. be a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, I can still be a Christian and all those things. Emily used this example, maybe on episode one, maybe two or three, maybe, but she talked about the idea of like deconstruction was described to her as like, you have all of this, this furniture in a house, kind of like the room we're in now. And yeah, deconstruction is taking all of that out. Mm. And we had later come to talk about like in the reconstruction is like deciding what you bring back in. Right. And it's like yeah. you're decorating the house for yourself. Like mm -hmm. you think about when you move into a furnished apartment, or you move into your college dorm or even you really move into your first place as an adult, like your parents still kind of help you do that. Right. And they're like, you're, right. or you're putting on the things that you think you were supposed to have. And yeah. deconstruction is a lot of that, like putting down the things you were given or taking the things out of the room that never fit to begin with and being able to really start to build a faith that is your own, but it's not like discipleship in general is not always fun. Like there's times yeah. you feel stretched and times you feel frustrated and deconstruction can be painful. Mm, um, yeah. That's one of the common things in the DMS and the emails we get is like our listeners are some are on the other side of it and they can retrospectively look back and be like, I'm so happy and healthy now. But a lot of people are in the midst of it. And like, this is the most painful thing. And I see no light at the end of the tunnel. I see no other side. Yeah. Um, and all the voices around me are telling me there's no other side. And maybe it's like a word of encouragement, but also just like honesty and vulnerability. Like, ha have you had painful seasons of deconstruction? Like, what was 
maybe something that was really hard or difficult or painful to deconstruct like for you guys in that i'll take i'll start out <coughs> excuse me <coughs> you just edit that out just edit out that cough for me oh, we're gonna leave it in <coughs> um it'll be our new intro music there you go yeah just <laughs> yeah let's just remix it um no uh when you when you were asking that question uh, uh memory immediately popped up and i had talked about this in a sermon not too long ago um here at concord and there was a time when i was in seminary i was like you know in the trenches of my second year you know just starting to see like a pinprick of light at the end of my educational tunnel mm. and <clears throat> you know i remember i was in my like grad student apartment and my wife was out um whatever i was there alone and it was right at like the height of the syrian refugee crisis and mm. we were like you know there were videos and pictures of like dead kids washing up on beaches and mm. like you know i was re and i really struggled with like this is happening people are dying i don't know and i'm like sitting in this apartment writing this paper about this high level theoretical theology whatever yeah. right and it's like you know and, and i really struggled in that moment both with like you know and all of this is against the backdrop of you know grew up in st louis you know the the murder of michael brown happened you know 15 minutes from where i you know and i came from from that world into seminary and now you know you're seeing this kind of these global crises and and like i was just ready like i was ready to be an atheist like i was just ready to be done i was like i just can't mm. keep doing you know i can't keep doing this and like trying to think about life after seminary and ministry and like going about my happy way while pe this is happening and and you know trying to trying to make sense of this classic question of theodicy this classic question of how do we you know how does a good god let bad things happen to innocent you know so and even as like an academic, like part of your deconstruction was like letting go of the academics of it. It sounds like, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like <clears throat> because I had, and still, I think depending on how that question gets framed, I still never found a uh, a sufficient answer to the classic question, right? Of like, why does God? It, now, you know, within that, that that question assumes a lot about, you know who God is, what type of, you know, what type of God God is, yeah. the way the God interacts with the like, world. Why do bad things happen to good people? Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, why do God, yeah, why do bad things happen to good people? Why, you know, we've heard a lot, like, why does God allow yeah. bad things happen? You know, and it's like, so th there's a lot of assumptions in that question that we would have to yeah. parse out. But <clears throat> at the time, I was, like, really struggling with this. And, you know, I remember walking, getting up and walking, like, from my kitchen to my living room to just, like, sit down because I just couldn't work on this stuff anymore. And in that little like 10 foot journey, I had, this is like the only time I'd ever experienced something that I would classify it that felt like a supernatural or like a metaphysical experience where I heard this, I felt this phrase or um, the, these words like flash across my mind of faith happens to you. Mm. Hmm. And like <clears throat> never before in my work, in my reading and all my research had I come across that like formulation or like what that meant hmm. to me. And I like I would kind of stop me in my tracks and I was thinking like, 
you know, eventually what I kind of came to realize was, or how I came to interpret that experience was like, even if I let go of all of this stuff, even if I let go of Jesus, even if I let go of faith, Jesus isn't going to let go of me. Mm. And so it's like, that was a big step in my process of like, you know, and, and I think there was stuff in my own is like, I was, you know, idolizing, you know, the academic, like I was, like the academic study of religion was supplanting my lived expression of faith. Like there were things there too, but I was like, part of that for me was letting go of the idea that I need to have an academic explanation for these things. Yeah. And I just need to allow myself to experience the pain of what's happening in the world and figure out how I can lend myself to the solution of that. So you say you should let go and let God. <laughs> <laughs> I you, will say you need to stop. <laughs> early on in the podcast, and I've walked this back a little bit, but I remember saying early on to Emily, that I thought academia was one of the greatest tools of the devil. Uh, Ooh, preach it. it takes I, I'm, I don't necessarily disagree yeah. to and an I, extent. Yeah. I've walked it back a little bit, but that was part. And again, this is my bias as a heart guy. But I was like, it's per, it's giving people what appears to be a sterile way to classify everything. Mm -hmm. But then you can't really, and you end up there. And, yeah. Um, and I bet your story is a lot like other people. Um, but what about you, Kyle? Like, it, what's your situation? What's been difficult? What's been hard? I mean, I think the... The hardest process for me, I think, was just letting go of. So, you know, well, I start. I started my ministry um, at my home church that I grew up in, which has its challenges of its own. So, staying in the SBC, um, and I was really excited about that um, when I took the position. I was still a college student when I was doing it, um, starting on an interim basis, and. You know, when I took the position, I was like, oh, I get this awesome job and this awesome church that I know really well. I know all the people. I was like, I'm just going to retire here. Like, this is yeah. it. Guys. Like, I figured it out. Like, I'm I'm 20. Like, got my retirement plan. Like, I'm done. <laughs> um, and I was like, this is going to be so easy. And then, like, you get into it and you're like, oh, I have the challenges of, A, all the people here remember me as, you know, bratty little 13-year-old Kyle who put his knee in the wall playing ping pong. Um, you know, so they're not going to respect me as an adult, but also mm -hmm. your 20 year old Kyle and you should be doing significantly better than what you're doing, even though you're a full time student and trying to work this full time job and getting married. So, like, why don't you like step up and figure it out? Yeah. So it was this really weird balance of trying to figure that out. So by that point, you know, this this institution that I loved, you know, was my idea of the church. Like that was mm -hmm. the church because it was my church. And. So seeing how that was going and then kind of being on the insides of it, like I have no ill will towards where I was at in my previous church. I, I love all those people um, still to this day, but it was being in that space and, and growing as a person, not knowing I was deconstructing already um, when I took that position, but then growing and, and viewing that it really wasn't until 2020 when uh, COVID started and uh, uh, George Floyd happened. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really hard. Uh, the response to COVID was, you know, immediately very serious and we took things very seriously, but then the longer that it went on and as we got into 21, then the less serious name came around and, 
a gentleman who has since passed um, from COVID complications was kind of like gloating in COVID's face and like wearing like yeah. underwear as a mask, which was the whole thing. And, you know, it just, it, it rocked my world. And then the response to George Floyd and, you know, kind of the unseriousness of how that was taken. Like, you know, we mentioned it, but like, we didn't really do anything about it. And like, it was kind of like, a, Oh, we're going to pray for this. And then like, never talk about it again. And I was like, why are we not talking about this? Like, this is, this is the moment. And it was summer of 21. We took our first mission trip post COVID with my youth students. And we went to Minneapolis. Hmm. Um, and we were going around on, we were supposed to be serving food to the homeless that day, but it turned out to be a horrible, this is a, this could be a podcast episode in itself, how awful this experience went. Um, this guy who was running this ministry just completely took over this day and hijacked our situation. And we ended up going on like a bus tour of the city and seeing the, he was showing us the rummage of that the looters caused in Minneapolis. And during that process, we learned that he was the police chaplain um, also working in this homeless ministry. And hmm. keep in mind, my my ministry I was running, we were in, we were in uh, North County, Missouri, so or in St. Louis. So, you know, I had a lot of black and brown students in mm-hmm. my youth ministry. We were the most diverse group in our entire church. Um, so we were about split 50-50, and I was on the bus that just happened to have the majority of our african-american students on it and they just couldn't believe like what they were witnessing because Mm. you know while we were a very silent accepting and inclusive place as a compared to a southern baptist church this guy was not and thankfully the company that we were working with that set up this mission experience for us um, allowed us to go and see the george floyd memorial which was the most spiritual experience i think i've ever had in a church setting we got off and there's artwork and flowers and paintings and it just was beautiful and we met this guy who was running the garden there who you know had probably planted some marijuana because he was pretty high but (laughs) preached the gospel to our students and i was just blown away and i was like this is the most beautiful experience and i'm taking pictures and i'm you know my kids are like fighting back tears because this like even my my white students are just like this this is what it's about like we went through this really hard thing that none of us were appreciative of you know and we made it here so like you know praise god that we're here and i posted those pictures on our our church youth instagram page and i got back home and I immediately had to have a meeting with our senior pastors. Like there were a few parents and church members that were furious that Mm. I took my kids to the George Floyd Memorial and that I was idolizing black lives matter and that I wasn't preaching the gospel. And I had to have these conversations and I was like, this is where I saw Jesus work. And this is like, you don't understand how much this meant to our kids. And they just was fought back. And I was like, what this church that I love. Yeah, that's hard is saying that like, you know, how is this not it? And so that, and because of that, then I started to read books like Jesus and John Wayne and all these things. And I started to learn vocabulary for deconstruction, but man, like I just, I couldn't believe it. And, and so it was those last two and a half years that I had in ministry were just brutal. And like, you know, the only thing that kept me going back to that place were those kids, Mm -hmm. you know, and, Mm -hmm. 
anything else I, I honestly couldn't have cared less about because it was just that moment. Like at that point, I was like, I know for a fact now you don't care about me and you don't care about these kids. You just care about what we're projecting yeah. and what we're projecting isn't right. Yeah, and what you're preserving. Like they wanted to preserve exactly. what they, they knew to be true. Yeah. That's Thank you both for sharing those things. I mean, I think your guys' stories are equal parts unique because they're your stories, but also like I bet you there are people listening that are like, man, I hear a sliver of myself in that story. Mm. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, but one thing I'm always in, like, and I don't think I've ever asked this on the podcast before, but one thing that I'm always trying to be aware of is like we sit in unique seats as pastors yeah um also we're three white pastors um and one of the things that we have tried to do is like not only have like straight white guys on the podcast that's the um, hope yeah yeah and this is like the straightest and whitest it's ever been probably <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry to taint your image <laughs> sorry, man. Um, but uh, but we have an opportunity in that to talk about it and so what do you think our blind spots are as pastors navigating deconstruction with people that aren't pastors because like we've gone through our own journey but what do you think we miss, like, as the people on the other side of the team? And I would say, I mean, I think we probably all agree there's not a dividing line, but sometimes there feels like there is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and just a reality, we see the world from different glasses just based on our seat on, at the table. Yeah. Um, but what do you think we miss? Well, we've been talking a bit about some of the stuff. We've been having some conversations here at Concord about, like the best way, you know, the most efficient way that we communicate out certain ideas and shifts in, in vision and that kind of stuff. And like to the congregation, to the congregation. Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the things that our, our lead pastor has said a lot is like, you know, we'll we'll say something, we'll announce something, we'll bring something out into the open and, you know, we'll we'll get pushback from it or whatever. And, you know. And it's like, it's real easy to get frustrated because it's like you've invested a lot of time and whatever it says. And he's like, you have to remember, we've been talking about this for six months. This is the first time they're ever hearing this, right? Yeah. And so, you know, in a similar vein, you know, pastors, at least, you know, thinking about pastors in the UMC, um, you know, those of us that went through seminary training or, or, you know, have undergrad degrees in ministry or whatever, you know, we had devoted a significant amount of time, a significant chunk of our lives to the academic study of the Bible and theology and our tradition. You know, I've, uh, I'm in my ninth or 10th year of academic work in this. And, you know, it's like, not everybody has a lot of people that we have in our churches, you know, the time that they devote to studying the Bible or to, to the Christian tradition is, the hour that they give on Sundays to listening to our sermons and singing our hymns. And so it's like, I I think at least part of what I had often struggled with and that I've had to get better at is just being patient with people Mm. who are, you know, maybe, maybe they're, they're trying to get there or you see a little glimmer of like, you know, they're interested in kind of this deconstructing work or they have questions about it. And, you know, it's like, for me, I was able to, to go through that process largely because I was, you know, with, I, I never got away from those conversations or those circles that were having those conversations. Yeah. And, you know, the people around us, the people in our churches that were pastoring and were shepherding, they don't have that same reality. And so I think, you know, the aspect of the time we devote and the way 
um, that we help people along, you know, needs to be informed by that. And that's something that I've really, I, I didn't get my first couple of years of ministry. I was just like, what, why aren't these people coming along? Like this all <laughs> makes a lot of sense to me, right? Like why, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And, and so eventually I realized, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense to me because I've spent the last, you know, almost decade figuring it out. Whereas these people may have never interacted with this particular idea. Yeah, and it's like I miss seminary sometimes, but not because of the academics as much as like the all-encompassing relational aspect of it. Of yeah. like I was mm-hmm. in the trenches with these people having yeah. these conversations, and I almost wonder it's like how do we create those opportunities? Like maybe that's more of an indictment of the church, right? Like we're yeah. not creating as much community in yeah. safe places for disagreement, dialogue, and and learning. Um, but I think it's interesting, yeah. Like as people that like go to school for this, it's like it's this in front of us, right? Like you see yeah. the financial bros on TikTok. It's like they're talking about because it it's all in front of them all the time, right? Yeah. And they're yeah. like, well, why don't you understand that if you put down this much and this and like it's like sure. well, I'm not in yeah. it right now, right? And yeah. it's like we're the same way. We're like Theo bros, right? Like theology yeah. bros <laughs> in that kind of world. You love um, that. You love that phrase. Disgusting. Yeah, it's a bad phrase, <laughs> but unfortunately, it's who we are. Right. right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, even when we try not to be. And so it's, but that's an interesting one. That's a good like blind spot to see. Do you have a different one? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing that, you know, the majority of, you know, white men, let alone white male pastors, you know, just fail to do is, is listen and ask questions. Mm. Like, you know, I, I grew up just not being able to ask questions about scripture. And then if I did, then even if the person I was talking to didn't know the answer, they would try to make up an answer. Uh-huh. So like I've made that like my life's calling. Like if I have a student or somebody come up to me and ask, and you were kind of talking about this too. Like if you have somebody who doesn't know an answer to it, like I'm going to look at you and say, I don't know. Like I'm willing to dig in and do the work with you. And you know, we may not find it, but like, I don't know. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend to you like I do know. Yeah. But you know, with that allows for really interesting dialogue and you can have, you know, really interesting conversations. Like I had this, I'll I'll never forget this. One of my favorite students at my last church just had this passage. I think it was in second Kings and it was about like chariots and, you know, this army that was going and blah. I mean, it just was on the surface, like this just complete nonsense passage of scripture. (laughs) I was like, what is like, like, Joey, why do you care about about what this means? He's like, I don't know. Like, and then like, I just like pushed it off for like four months. I was like, this clearly means nothing. Like, whatever. I'm just. He's it's gonna, in he, the Bible. He's gonna forget about <laughs> it. And he brought it up to me like four months later. Like, did you ever look into this? And I was like, oh, uh, no. Let's sit down and do it right now. And and like and we found out like like it genuinely was just like a historical yeah context in scripture. Like, it, there was no like spiritual weight behind it. It was just doing what the Old Testament does sometimes, like going through history. He's like, oh, okay, that's really cool. Yeah, I was yeah. like, okay. So like, the f- I, I just I I refused to listen to this kid for a minute. I was like, this just on the surface just didn't look like he was important, but like, it like was eating at him for four yeah, months to where he to him, right? exactly. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, I need to do better at that. Yeah. Well, that's I think one. I think like you know we the there's blind spots to being right. I mean, like, we we could layer this as much as we want. Like, there's blind spots to being pastors, and there's blind spots to being white male pastors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, which adds more of like. You know, we don't we don't see we don't we don't get the same kind of flack that our uh, female pastoral colleagues get, or our right. our you know our friends that are pastors of color, or our LGBTQ mm-hmm. uh, pastor friends, and it's like yeah. I, I think you know making a conscious effort, both as as pastoral leaders, but just as 
people of faith and people of conscience who are committed to doing work of justice is like trying to to foresee you know trying to get around those blind spots as much as we can to to be empathetic and to stand in solidarity with our friends mm -hmm. that are are struggling with this stuff and i think that's that's a you know a deconstruction all its own you know like i yeah. i inherited a specific set of ideas around lgbtq people mm -hmm. and you know um you know we we had talked about this uh, as a staff not long ago but it's like uh, or maybe it was at our our small group uh, our co-op that we have here is like i grew up you know being taught that um you know there, there was racism in america and then mlk gave a speech and then there was no more racism <laughs> right or that like white people invented everything but peanut butter like that's what you i know? was taught in school you know mm -hmm. right. and so it's like that kind of jesus was white that yeah. jesus was white yeah like that yeah. kind of received history is like you know uh, there that's a whole deconstruction all its own that that does in very real ways add into our faith and our faith journeys but you know, is, um, has ramifications far reaching outside of it. Yeah. yeah. So we just recorded an episode and I, I can't remember if I said this already within this episode, but we had recorded an episode of your guys' podcast, the progressive yeah. po pastor podcast had a ton of fun doing that. But yeah. my favorite part of it was the last question you asked. And I want to mm. ask it to you guys. Cause I don't oh, think you guys asked it to oh, me. Yeah. Um, but the question was like, what keeps you coming back? Right. That was the question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and you guys asked it to me in terms of like ministry, right? Like there are things that are hard and yeah. things. Um, and so why do you keep coming back? Maybe when all things are going uh, to shit around you or whatever. Yeah. Um, but for you guys, like whether it's, well, actually if you can try to distill it to deconstruction, like, cause this is a hard journey of like mm -hmm. reconstructing, deconstructing, yeah. A world that doesn't understand it, a world where you appear to be a heretic, all, all the things yeah. that are hard. Like, what keeps you coming back to ministry and to seeing the positives of deconstruction within your just mm -hmm. own life? Yeah. I mean, I <clears throat> I feel like my answer is going to kind of mirror yours. Um, I recently had lunch uh, or dinner with a friend who, you know, during my undergrad days, like, I would have considered one of my best friends. Um, and you know, he, and it was like, it ended up just being like this, like three hour kind of grill session about like, you know, why are you a Methodist now? And like, why'd you leave the Baptist church? And you've you know, gone woke. Exactly. Yeah. He describes me as his woke friend, all of his, you know, <laughs> Southern Baptist friends. And I'm like, I'm sick, like badge of honor, but like, whatever. <laughs> but like, you don't know how happy that makes me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm like, man, I'm really doing good. But like, I left that dinner and I was just so upset. Like, I wasn't like, like sad, but I was like, what is like, why, why do you not, Get it. And I was like, I still read and preach the same gospel that you preach. And like, you know, I believe what, what you believe. It's just like, I just love gay people. Like, like sue me. Like I'm, yeah. and like, I don't believe that, you know, being gay is the same. Like, like how, how are we that different? Yeah. And, and so I got home and I'm like, I'm just complaining to my wife for like an hour. I'm like just trying to give her the snippets of this three hour grill session that I was a part of that. Like I couldn't, I just couldn't believe happened. And I got to the end of it, and I was like, hold on. This is what I was hoping for, right? Like, for these people that were so deeply entrenched into this world that I was deeply entrenched in, mm. you know, to even be able to have a conversation at the table. And even though, like, you know, he didn't walk out of that dinner, you know, on the same mind path that I was, you know, if you would have asked me, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been on the other side of that table, 
you know, and doing the same thing to my quote unquote woke friends before I started to kind of move into a more progressive theology and just general mindset. And yeah. so I was like, hold on, I think this is the right thing. And so it, for me, it's, it, there's a large element of hope mm. that like, you know, I don't get viewed as a heretic all the time. Like I want this to become the normalcy of the American church. Like I want to see this become a widespread movement into yeah. all of our churches today, you know, and, you know, I also want to, I say, I want to see people get humbled, but like, not like in a negative context of like, I'm going to stomp you into the ground and humble you. But like, I was humbled in the same way, yeah. um, you know, and just to, just to see, you know, our LGBTQ and our black and brown and, and, and our women in ministry, like as their true neighbors, as Jesus described them, you know, and just be able to love them well, like that, that's it for me. Mm-hmm. I dig that. I, I think people should be mocked all the time for this, but I'm going to lift mine up. But my Instagram bio is preaching the radical gospel until it's not radical anymore. Uh, and, I, <laughs> and I do hear that in what you're saying a little bit. Like yeah. you want to like, you want the normal to be inclusion, right? You yeah. want the normal to be that. And it's like that friend did trust you to some degree to have that conversation. Yeah. Even if it's a seed you planted, but five years down the road, that's an exciting conversation mm-hmm. to think about having. Of like he recalls or she yeah. was it he, he recalls yeah. your conversation and being like oh man like I remember getting dinner with you and yeah. I thought you were a huge idiot mm-hmm. but then like God did something in me and yeah. now I don't think you're as much of an idiot and then a year down from there right like exactly like God can really use that and that's a cool perspective shift too because I don't think we always get there no and like maybe call me a huge like optimist but like that's where I'm at yeah I like that <laughs> I still think you're a huge idiot thanks so, thanks boo well, yeah um, you got it. What's yours, JP? You know, um, well, yeah, so when we first started, you were talking about how you and Kyle are, are both kind of hard people, that I'm kind of an academic guy. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And um, and my approach to, to academic work, I think, is the same to my approach to ministry and my approach to deconstruction is I am I'm deeply invested and interested in this type of work insofar as it aids in the task of liberation and justice for oppressed people in the world. And so, you know, insofar as academics are, uh, are helpful to that task insofar Mm. as, and I, you know, the thing that keeps me up at night is thinking about what if all of the Christians in the world, what if every church in the world was activated toward that work of liberation and justice, what a different world this would be. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, thinking about, like, my own deconstruction journey and, and the people around me that have gone through this, it is only, I, and maybe, maybe for other people, they haven't had that experience, this experience, but for me, I've only seen journeys of deconstruction lead people to be more inclusive and more loving mm. and more justice-oriented mm-hmm. and liberation-minded. And so for me what keeps me coming back to this work is this idea and this dream which in a very fundamental way is the dream of the gospel right that another world is possible that Mm -hmm. a that a different world that we don't we're not stuck with this world that we have that there can be movement and there can be progress and there can we can make an unjust world a little less unjust and i think at least in my experience my own journey of deconstruction, both in my faith and my deconstruction around my concept of social issues and justice issues has 
aided in my my work and my calling to that task. And so I can only hope and dream that, you know, I can play a small part in the people in my church and the people in my sphere to uh, to jump on that journey as well. Yeah, I dig it. And I also say you get a, you got a hard time by saying you're an uh, academic and not a hard person because in you know. a sense, like, at the, if justice is your issue, like, that's a hard issue, right? Like, and yeah. like you care about people at a deep level. And so Aww, I just, you do care. Aww, Look at you. Yeah, I got kind of a, like my heart's growing yeah. three sizes right Look at now. That. Yeah. yeah, so proud of you. Thanks, man. Um, <laughs> well, man, I appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. I Absolutely. Not it's only super fun. Would love to be back on your guys' podcast again, but I think it'd be fun to just continue to revisit some of these conversations yeah. with you guys. Yeah. Um, just because I think it's it is important to hear a diversity of opinions and a diversity of thoughts and, and from the head and from the heart mm-hmm. and from churches that are established uh, to churches that are new. Like people hear from me a lot uh, on the deconstruction, obviously, like it's our podcast, but yeah. like you guys are in a way different church context. So deconstruction yeah. in your pews looks different than it does in our seats, right? Sure. And so it's like, how do we like? Yeah. What's it like to say that? seats in that pews? Oh, man. Really man. rub it in our face, Danny. Yeah, what, yeah. Do you guys have pews? What Sadly. We, what we would give to have <laughs> seats and not pews. Uh, we actually have talked about how cool it would be to have pews. You want some? I, I, I know where you, you can get some. The grass is always, always greener. Um, but I appreciate you guys uh, joining us. And our, our send-off is always to embrace the journey, uh, understanding that wherever people are um, is where they are. And like uh, I think I said this in my sermon this Sunday. Uh, it's like when we pray to God, like we should pray where we actually are, not where we're pretending to be. Ooh, and, that'll uh, preach. That'll yeah. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what part of embracing the journey is like, just own where you're at um, yeah. nice. and take that step. And so I thank you guys for being with us. And I should have prepped you before this. We're all going to try to snap at the same time after Ooh. I say embrace the journey. So I'm okay. going to say it and then you're going to snap with me. There we go. Um, but hey, thank you guys for joining us. And we invite you to embrace the journey. That's pretty good. Ooh. Ooh.